Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week, along with Mrs. Force Ghost Conversations herself, Elise King, we are going to discuss the third episode in the Light and Magic documentary titled, Just Think About It. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter at Forest Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Forest Ghost Conversations. We look forward to connecting with you on those platforms. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our T Public store to buy some Forest Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it's time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Force Ghost Conversations, everybody. I'm so excited to get into another deep dive discussion about the light and magic documentary that is on Disney Plus right now. But before we get into that, we have some news to run down across the Star Wars and Lucasfilm galaxy overall in a segment we appropriately call here Cloud City Gossip. Now, first, a new poster in promotion of Andor was released this past week. The poster features the main cast with the tagline, The Rebellion Begins. Featured most prominently in the poster are, of course, Cassian himself and Mon Mothma. Be sure, be on, well, I would say be on the lookout for more Andor posters, content, and clips as the September 21st release date nears closer. And speaking of that, we are officially in the month of Andor. As noted earlier, Andor will premiere with three episodes on September 21st, only on Disney+. Plus. So, you know, be sure that you got your subscription today, ready to go, locked and loaded, if you will. If you already do not have one, you do not want to miss out on Andor. Trust me, I've seen a little bit of uh, the footage from that Rogue One release, and you do not want to miss out on this series and of course we will be discussing it week to week here on force ghost conversations so we got a lot coming up for that be sure to be sure to get your disney plus account and subscribe to our show so you do not miss out on anything next are you heading to the d23 expo next week at the anaheim convention center if so there will be a slew of new star wars merchandise that is exclusive to the convention for you and you alone to purchase a full rundown of the items that you can expect to see in the store and the show store can be found on StarWars.com right now. And finally, the maestro himself, John Williams, debuted a new song at his recent concert at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, California. The theme is for Helena, who is Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character for the upcoming Indiana Jones 5 film. The clip can be sound all over YouTube, and it is just brilliant, if you ask me. I, I listen to it, and it's, it's really majestic. So, although we have little information about Helena's character, Williams did give us a bit of a tease here. He went on to describe her character as follows. She's an adventurous, and she's also a femme fatale. She's many, many things. And her music, she has lyrical music like an old movie star would look like, except that she's young and beautiful and wonderful. End quote. Even at 90 years young, John is still putting out world-class music. And on the other side of this break, we'll be back with our discussion on episode three of the Light and Magic documentary series. Stay tuned, folks. All right, everyone. Welcome back to our main 
topic of today, the deep dive discussion into Light and Magic, Episode 3. Now, I am so thrilled to bring in our special guest for this week's episode. It is none other than Mrs. Force Ghost Conversations herself, Elise King. Welcome. Hello. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Are you ready to get into Light and Magic Episode 3? Always. Always. Yes. I am thrilled to get into it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Note to the audience, it is a little early, so our brains are slowly turning. Our brains are turning, and my brain is also somewhere in budgeting. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Um, But I'm thrilled to talk about non-budgeting things for a while, which is Light Magic, which is a fantastic documentary series. Now, I will note... For those at home, if you haven't seen it yet, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing with your lives? Go pause this episode now. Go check it out. And then come back. You've been warned. Spoiler warning. From this point on, everything's fair game about light and magic. And a lot of other things. Star Wars and whatnot. Okay. (laughs) uh, Pretty much spoiler for just about everything. So you're warned. You're warned. You're warned. Elise, the episode starts with a long list of famous people in the film industry just in awe about the first Star Wars film. That's where we left off in episode two, is that Star Wars, what well, we, you and I probably know as episode four, A New Hope predominantly, came out. And what were your, I want to talk about your first thoughts on that movie. On if you, Star Wars? On, on A New Hope. I want, I want to go back to your <laughs> first steps. I don't even remember when I watched it. If you it. can, if you can, take me on this journey with you. What were your first thoughts when you saw the film for the first time? Or that you can remember having thoughts about the film for the first time? Do you have any memories of the special effects from that viewing? Oh, this is such a loaded question. I'm like, oh, you know how my memory is. It is wonderful. um i am trying at this point to remember if i saw them before after i saw the prequels which maybe you tell me (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't around at that time (laughs) my gut is telling me i saw them after the prequels i -hmm. saw a new hope after the prequels okay because I remember watching A New Hope. Okay, so there's one or two things. I saw them after the prequels. Or <laughs> I love that we died. It's all theoretical. Yeah, it's all theoretical. <laughs> or or I just went back and watched them w- way later. And that's the only time I remember them. Mm-hmm. Because I remember watching A New Hope and being like, this isn't as impressive as I thought. Mm. And it's not because it's not impressive. It's because I'm a child of the 90s. You, you, and I saw a you lot saw of... The, you saw through the effects. I saw through the effects, but it's... So on the effects level, it's just the nature of growing up with more advanced effects, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um. That being said, the story stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And made me want to watch the other two, made me want to, you know, see where like the Skywalker saga go. You know, it got me invested in Star mm-hmm. Wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
in, like I wanted to watch more. So the yes. story was was strong, but I remember the effects being like I remember telling myself, Elise, these effects were great for when they were created. And they I might argue still are pretty good compared to some other the, stuff yeah, we've seen and, recently. And I would say it'd be interesting to watch a new hope now when I have one just a lot more appreciation for the art and the hard work and the sweat and tears that went into this. Also, more appreciation given. I didn't know that this was new technology, mm, right? Mm. I thought it was Lucas using what was created. And three, I have now been able to discern bad effects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's much easier to point out. And it's kind of like watching E.T. where I'm like, E.T. looks like a real thing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't, re I will say, I would go back now and look at my memory and be like, no, but you liked it. You liked some of the effects. I remember being like, Yoda looks real, you know, like, mm -hmm. so I think with the lens I have now, I would analyze it differently. Yeah. But I remember being like, you don't think this is that great, but you don't think this is that great because you were born later and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. long, long answer. But it sounds like it was a journey. It's a journey. And light and magic <sighs> somehow helped with this journey at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't know any of the story of how effects came to be in Hollywood. Yeah. I didn't know any yeah. of that. And now you have this great foundation that you'll, you're literally, you pull from every time we watch something now. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get a little too buzzed at a happy hour one day and just go on and on and on about light and magic and my coworkers or someone will be like, mm-hmm, great. I don't Thank have you for Disney your passion. Plus. I, is it on Netflix? <laughs> yeah. So that's where I'm at now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, moving on. If So after the success of Star Wars, George moves ILM from the Van Nuys Airport up to Marin County outside of San Francisco. Which apparently everyone loved. Which, for the most part, everyone loved. <laughs> but who was left out was John Dykstra. That shocked me. Yeah. How did you feel about John's lack of inclusion? Do you think it was a business move, a personal move, maybe both? What are your thoughts on that? I know this was, when we watched it, it was devastating for you. I mean, okay, let's not say devastating. You were, you were hit hard. I was just like, oh my god! Someone may or may not have been yelling at the TV screen or asking me to pause and like, what? Why? No! I was just shocked. I was like, this is the man that brought it to fruition. That's crazy. I mean, <laughs> don't lie to the audience. They part of me they like, know you were animated. <laughs> I, just, I just, I thought for sure he was a part of the other one. I thought for sure. Um, you were shocked too. I knew the story. Oh, you acted shocked. I was responding, reacting to your response. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I want to tell all. Because, like, they were so polite and nice. They were so polite. I will say this. They were so polite on the show. Like, you could tell John and had, like, had decades to process what happened and was able to mm -hmm. say things calmly. I mean, I don't know. So part of me is, like, it had to be a personal thing. It had to. Is that what you're saying? Putting your foot in the sand on? I mean, I'm not, no, I'm not going to like stand on this hill and die. <laughs> it was <man>. personal. <laughs> but I will say like, I know they went over a budget. I know they were, the time wasn't working, et cetera. 
at the same time, John was creating entirely new technology. Yeah. So I, I have to give him slack on that. Like, yeah. we all think we know what it takes to build something new. And then we start building it. And it's like a beast you didn't comprehend. You saw yeah. the tip of the yeah. iceberg. We hear that in the workplace all the time. Um, I'm wondering what it was like at the office, like or on in the warehouse, mm-hmm. like what the vibe was. T- team members seem to really like it, but they're all talking with the rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it seemed like him and George. John didn't seem um, sorry about his approach to Star no. Wars. No, no. So I'm wondering if it was like to out to like alphas with different approaches and like two clashing personalities between him and George. Like I just, at some point I was like, does George just not want to deal with John mm. kind of thing? Or does he want more control than John would want him to have? You know? Yeah. I feel like it was, it ha- there was a mix of personal because at the yeah. end of the day, they created new technology and star Wars was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think what I got from this a little bit, and this isn't a slander on George Lucas cause I can be the same of like, he's a controlling perfectionist. He was so upset on some level with what happened with Star Wars. He he couldn't take his vision and mirror it to the movie, but that's yeah. just because time wasn't there with him. Time wasn't on his side. Oh, Technology progress was not on his side, and that's not anyone's fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have to believe it was interpersonal stuff that really pushed it. That would be my guess, too. Yeah. If I had to take a stab at it, it, it was probably like, I think what it would come down to is probably culture, like whatever the culture that George wanted to create for that ILM, John wasn't whatever a part of it. <laughs> they didn't mesh at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, why would I just hire somebody when I have a long-term vision for this? Yeah, and it's a testimony to John's legacy in the sense that, like, he knew the right people to hire and put on yeah, the job because yeah. then they carry <laughs> they, they carry on the torch, right? ILM success. George is also much more involved. He's not just in London. Shooting. Yeah, he, he's producing the next ones. He's not directing. directing. So, so yeah, I mean, was it was a, I mean, it's totally within George's right to do that, and I was just glad to see that John was included. And yeah. They, they brought up that messiness. Right. Plus with ILM expanding to not just the Star Wars realm anymore. Yeah, I like... You need a pipeline of people you can really trust around you. and Yeah. <laughs> and I like that. I think that's one of the things I really like about the docuseries in general is like they're not shying away from some of the hard transitions that yeah. ILM went through. Oh, and they went through a few. They went yeah. through a few. So I really appreciate when John did and I understand how, how amazing A New Hope was and is and yeah yeah and yeah he gets to reap the benefits every time someone watches it so he gets a little residual check so yeah. it's not like he's hurting <laughs> um <coughs> so at the time star wars was the biggest film ever made um uh, now they are tasked so um, in ilm was tasked yeah. with topping everything and george quote unquote bet the farm in terms of making empire right making a sequel how would you feel if you were a member of ILM at the time faced with this daunting task, right? There were expectations now. How, how do you deliver on that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not part of the ILM group. If you were, let's say Elise King has popped down. I want to answer. I want to hear your answer. First. 1979. How would you, how would you feel? I want to hear your answer first. 
about Anthony King? Stressed. <laughs> Stressed. What would we say in our household? I'm strebbed. Yeah. <laughs> I would... Because... I think that some of the magic of the first Star Wars film is it's just them trying stuff. You're for, never going to replicate a startup for six field. months, right? It's the startup feel. They're all young in their twenties. They just for it's this ragtag group of people hopping in off of the streets, but you know, not necessarily like that. But it's kind of how they portray it in a way. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm an I'm a friend who's an auto mechanic. I'm a friend who was into photography. I'm a friend who knew how to do stop motion somehow because it was my hobby as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we'll tinker together with this. And Joe Johnson's like, I don't even know how to draw, but I'll figure out how to do it and create all the the imagery of Star Wars in a sense. Yeah. And you put that together in that special soup, and somehow the output is Star Wars. And then there, George is like, all right. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again, but better. Learn your craft, hone it, right? <laughs> I mean, there's definitely this sense of like, you know what it takes to build, make the sausage now, right? Yeah. You know how much work, how much energy. So part of you must be like, so tired. Yeah. But then a part of you must be so high from how well Star Wars did. And like, the acclaim it got. And... I think Oscars are one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not like they weren't rewarded for their hard work and knowing that it, like, created something amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think at the start, I mean, one, overwhelmed, but then also, two, faithful because yeah. we freaking created technology for the first one. We're good. Like, we can do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We have the problem solving capacity to make it work. Yeah. But yeah, overwhelmed for sure because you know what it takes now. Yeah, definitely. The thing is, too, at the time, grant you, it's hard to imagine a world that isn't like this today, but sequels aren't really a thing in Hollywood at that time. They weren't. Yeah, no. you're right. Uh, and if they were, they weren't ever really too successful. The only real acclaimed versions of sequels that came before are like The Godfather 2. <laughs> yeah, but I think you also like, we have to remember that this is a group that is held together by a very strong vision of George Lucas. It is. It is. They were very lucky that they, like, they had that. He had a very... And his support. <laughs> yeah. He had a very clear vision. He was able to speak to it very clearly. You know, I think having a leader like that in this kind of environment, this kind of pressure was probably really good for them. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. I think so, too. So to that vein, everything is bigger and better in empire there's more stop motion there's computer graphics included more map paintings more storyboards more scenic displays more models what do you think of ilm's tenacity in making empire the success that it is today i feel like you should be answering these questions yeah, but i want to know what you what you think is uh, someone who's not in the weeds of Star Wars each and every day, like I think you would probably say, like if from a filmmaking perspective, Empire is like the cream of the crop when it comes to both sequels and in terms of Star Wars films. And I'll and the Light and Magic documentary in this episode really hit on them. That's like saying we're doing everything to the tenth degree now after learning we're doing this sequel. But it takes hard work and determination, of course. And how does that like? How does that like affect you as someone that watches it? And like, what can you take from it into your daily existence? 
Well, Empire is just so good because the story, it's like a perfect story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's someone who has understood what they are. Yeah. And now embracing that mm-hmm. role and really trying to figure out, I don't know, it's just such a perfect encapsulated story and... I don't know. I just keep thinking of the stop motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Phil Tippett was maybe on full display in this episode. Yeah, maybe because Phil Tippett like really resonated with me. But when I saw, because I like grew up watching Wallace and Gromit and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience is gonna hate me for this, but I didn't love those stories. My yeah, si- we have a we have a sore spot about I that. I know. <laughs> My siblings are in love with it. I never loved it. Mm-hmm. And so, but then when I saw what was stop motion in Empire, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> that was real. I thought that was a real. <laughs> I thought they had like, I don't even know what I thought because computer graphics didn't exist. Yeah. But I just, I didn't realize what it could be. And just the detail and the characters, mm-hmm. I think. Because we really get into like the Star Wars world, like the how big the, the world star- gets bigger the again. world gets bigger <laughs> you thought it was already big in the new hope <laughs> yeah so I there's just, an ice planet now <laughs> yeah like that i like that really i don't know my world expanded in empire seeing how big that world expanded while yeah. also on it like watching someone go through a very archetypal journey yeah that was familiar and almost comforting and so and maybe because phil Tippett just resonates with me so much but i really that's that's what has really stood out to me with Empire. Great. Well, we're going to talk about Phil a bit more later in this episode. But... What did you think was the biggest contributor to success? Like what? <sighs> the biggest. Con- I mean, they they all do, frankly. But I think Phil is definitely at the top there. Um, all of the map paintings that were done. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> because I think they said something to the extent of they had like, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was like. I'm, I'm ballparking it was like 40 or so yeah for a new hope and then it was like 250 yeah <laughs> it, was, it was triple digits for sure <laughs> and it's like wow that's a lot of work and how big those paintings were yeah yeah and having to critique the great ralph mcquarrie <laughs> for his clouds oh and, that's right for the clouds it's city. like we have a vision to uphold here like <laughs> And that was fun, too, to learn, like, what was really hard to capture and make life like and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably why Phil Tippett's genius really speaks to me, because, like, he just innately could make you believe how animals moved. Yeah. And then the painstaking process that is behind stop motion to move, like, centimeters, millimeters. I don't have the patience. I don't. Take another picture, millimeter, take another one. At some point, All I would the just walkers. squeeze the oh. animal so hard it explodes. <laughs> yeah, I, that's whew, way beyond my level of, of degree of focus and patience to, to handle that, for sure. So, <coughs> one person that enters the scene in this episode is Ed Catmull, who is the new head of ILM's computer graphics division. And I think at this point... This is really where the tech innovation at ILM loses me. <laughs> in the first two episodes, even with the Dijkstra, uh, the camera and all that stuff, I think I got that down. I understand to a degree stop motion and just the idea of putting potatoes onto a string and using it as asteroids. But as soon as you bring in computer graphics and animation, that's where I really, I bow out. 
in terms of trying to comprehend and understand everything that's going on. Did it feel the same for you at that point in time? When I asked you to pause like every 10 seconds <laughs> so I could summarize what I heard and try and process what it was. I think one thing is this is so early in computer graphics and yeah. they're, they're explaining how that technology was built that like, I understand the theory behind computer graphics on some, like on a very layman's level, mm -hmm. but I understand like the evolved version. Yeah. The, the original version of someone who had never to have never seen computers do that before. And then understanding how you could make them do something that we had never seen before. It's just, Freaking mind-blowing. Yeah, that's a bit outside of my pay grade. Yeah, I, I, my brain couldn't comprehend it. And hearing them try to explain something that's so visual, auditorily, like, I, it was overwhelming. But I think it's because yeah. it was that first prototype of what they were creating. Like, ugh, Photoshop even made more sense than, mm -hmm. than what they were describing. And it's yeah. the rudimentary version, but I think because it was how there weren't words to describe it until they created it at the time i mean you and i can code like how to italicize a tech like text in a web page and stuff like like we can do very basic coding but i don't understand how coding goes from writing something into a a program and then that turns into an image. I just I don't yeah. I don't get what the formula is in order to create. I need to do a master A class. plus B equals C. I just don't get yeah, that. <laughs> I need to do some online classes and I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. But it was impressive. I'm glad someone else has done that for us. <laughs> and we get to reap the benefits. <laughs> was this the episode? I can't remember where like they took the stop motion and smoothed the movements out. That will be episode four. Four, okay. Yes, when they really dive into computer graphics a bit yeah. further. Um, but to that degree, too, in this episode, George talks a lot about the expanded ideas that he was basically willing to put his money behind. These mm -hmm. ideas that he had, I, such as digital editing, digital filming, digital sound, computer animation. Is the fact that he's willing to put his money where his ideas and mouth are is that what separates him from other like-minded creatives in our, like in your opinion? I think it does for you. Cause you asked the question. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does for me. I, I, that's why I'm asking you though. No, I think it is something unique. I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of stories of that happening. Maybe there are, and they're just not, mm -hmm. I'm not in circles or platforms that talk about them a lot, but for us, he was a visionary he is a visionary. And instead of saying, I need to find funding or this won't happen, he said, I will fund it. Yeah. And I think that speaks to him wanting to control a lot of uh, things. Probably. <laughs> but also, like, he put his money where his mouth is. And I think that's, you know, that's what it takes sometimes to be an innovator. Because if you're spending all your time trying to get people to believe in your idea, then eventually the, the idea could die. Agreed. And in a second, too, I see it as an investment in the people that work for him mm -hmm. to achieve the like it's a symbiotic circle there. <laughs> yeah, and he's he gave a lot of creative control to those. He had a lot of trust in those people. Um, so yeah, definitely a unique aspect of the story. Yeah. So I think you're gonna, based off of me asking this question again, you're gonna figure <laughs> I have some semblance of agreement with this statement. But the title of the episode is "Just Think About It." And it's a big overall theme for the episode in a way, especially in the way that George says it, you know, just think about it. <laughs> when he tells them, like, 
You can do digital film editing. We can't do that, George. It's not fun. No, just think about it. Uh, that's that's George's leadership style seems to be a subtle way of encouraging others to do things while also not subtly encouraging them to do it at the end of the day. Uh, he, he's believing in them, if you will, that they will be able to achieve what he's, he's asking them to do. But he's not coming off as a, like a, a very aggressive way in doing it, right? What do you think of that leadership style? How do you how do you think of it? Does it resonate with you? Do you have any other similar instances in your professional career or adversely? <laughs> do you have someone that was like, do it now? And then you were like, probably like, I, I don't know. Ah. <laughs> um, I mean, so I think of a, a bigger question I would have in general was if he said, just think about it, did that mean I need you to prove you can't do it? I usually need, I either need to show, you need to show proof to me that it can't be done. Mm -hmm. Or you need to do it. Yeah. So I, on some level, I'm wondering, is that code for you need to do it? Mm-hmm. Because I think if you just, like, thought about it and then didn't do anything about okay. it, Lucas would come back and there would probably be some hard, more some hard lessons. direct yeah. conversations. Yeah. <laughs> some more John Dykstra and George conversations. So, yeah, I mean, in the moment, he's not being pushy. I don't think he seems like he's a dictatorial leader in that way. Um but I also think he has a vision and he will achieve it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. So, cause you never heard, maybe it's also just the culture of who ILM employees are of like, they get challenged, they balk, but then they think it through and they're like, of course we can do it. And you know, there's like, <laughs> it's, they are creative problem solvers. And so George knows that. Yeah. So I don't know if it's, I think it's too, I think it's a little simplistic to say it's a leadership style. I think it, it would be, you'd have to go into an, a lot of other factors of like, does he, does everyone understand what he means when he says that? Like, mm -hmm. do they know the consequences of if they don't say that and what are, how does gotcha. he act with those? Gotcha. Is it just a cultural thing where like, he knows that these types of people are going to say no initially. And then, you know, he knows if they spend a couple days problem solving, they'll actually come up with an idea and he's just like pushing them along that path. You know, I think, there's a lot of things I'd want to understand. As we kept watching this show, I was like, I want someone to do like a thesis. I want them to go study Lucas. <laughs> a leadership and the thesis ILM. on the, on the, yeah, on like, the, the product. <laughs> yeah, on a human capital like degree program or something like humans, like uh, organizational psychology or something. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I think they could be a really interesting case study because it works. Yeah. And I think Lucas knows how to make, tap into that. But, yeah, we see in the end results. <laughs> but there's real consequences if they don't get it done and mm. they don't figure it out mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, when he's backing his own venture capital <laughs> for these projects, yeah. he may be a bit more pissed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say, as someone that has this happen to him on a weekly basis. <laughs> just think about it. I don't get told just think about it in my professional career. I'm cold, kind of do it and then i'm like i don't think this is possible <laughs> and then they say okay and then i sit on it for like 30 minutes to an hour yeah and then i actually am able to figure out a way to do it yeah <laughs> or i'm i am asked if like I, for me personally too in my professional career it's more not necessarily if it's possible it's more when it can be done like i think i my initial thing is to like, it will be, oh my gosh, I will take two weeks to do this or something like that. Yeah. When you just like, 
the overwhelmingness of it all just like hits your brain and you think through every process step that you have to do. Yeah. When sometimes in reality, just just by doing it, it actually doesn't take two weeks. It takes you two hours. <laughs> yeah, I I have I have. Which um... I wonder for some people when they heard some of these things, they're like, "It's not possible. Like we can't do it in two weeks. That's not happening." And then you know, you just think about it. You know, just that calming presence there. It's like. Okay, no, now I've actually thought about it. Maybe it doesn't take that. You get over that initial overwhelming fight or flight defense thing. Yeah, I definitely have those moments. Um, especially when you're in a meeting and you're like talking through a million things and they also throw one more thing at you. Mm -hmm. I've gotten better at just saying like, let me get back to you on it. Let yeah, me think through yeah. it. So, yeah, I think... When you have a million different things you have to work on, a million different stop motion characters or something. And then like George is like, what if we completely change this one thing and push it in this other direction? You're like, no, no, George. He's like, just think about it. And you're like, you know, Damn it's it, okay. It's wriggling in my brain now. You know what? This kind person didn't have to take. Just think about how, it. I, I want to know how kind he There's is. a psychological aspect of saying it like that too that I think has its effects. Just kind of be like, all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in the tone, if you say like, "Well, all right." <laughs> I mean, just think about, you know, like, oh, I don't know. I think you're jumping. You know, just like kind of giving a little bit of like, what does he see that I don't see? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Well, on to the next question here that I have for you, Phil Tippett, as we've alluded to already in this episode, is featured heavily within episode three of Light and Magic. He shared so much about his personal experience and process, and particularly in opening up about his bipolarism. I personally appreciated his honesty and vulnerability so much in this episode and made him so relatable. How did this news and revelation affect you and, and change how you maybe impact how you view him? I mean, it's always, I think a story is always made the better when there's sincerity and vulnerability built into it. And I think it highlighted just how high the stakes are for some of those mm. founding members of ILM. Mm. Like they kept saying this was family, this was family, but like, no, <laughs> I think Phil Tippett and Dennis, was it Dennis? Den Dennis Mirren, Mirren yeah. who like them and their wives mm -hmm. would go on vacations together. Where I think they met through each other. They, like, met, either they met their wives through, through each other. other. Yeah. Like it really is family. And like, there was a sense of purpose and structure. And I think Phil Tippett's probably on the extreme spectrum of, of how that space worked for him mm -hmm. and what it meant. Um, it also makes the stakes later on in the development of ILM higher. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, it was definitely a lean in moment. Cause I was like, this is a man being very open and honest with where he was and how he was able to utilize what some would say is a weakness into a strength for mm -hmm. his work. Agreed. And, um, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want any, like any workplace to be like the, your saving grace, but if it's your passion and if it, I think creative workplaces are a little different because it's like wielding your soul into a workplace. And Phil definitely seemed to have done that. He definitely seemed to be like that adage where it's like, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And that this seemed like to be like a job meant for this person. person. <laughs> yeah. And I, and it seems like he had a, he owned the model shot. Like he was a leader in a lot of ways that maybe there, 
there were so many different types of leadership styles and the people that were interviewed. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he brought probably a very unique perspective and approach. And yeah. Um, yeah, it was really great to learn about his process and what it means. And I would never, just for the record, I would, like, we work in office jobs and I enjoy what I do most times, but I would never be like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. It's helped me through my bipolar disorder, you know, yeah. like, yeah. it's helped me through my depressive episode, you know, that that's just, I, I think at some point that's not what work should be, but again, creative pursuits and creative minds and jobs are, I think a little different because it is wielding something that's, my soul is not connected to my work. Yeah. Yeah. For but, sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not, but I think it's, it's not going to crush everything if it goes crushing down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it was definitely an, I think a needed perspective to show the, the human side. Speaking to the human side, that's not a question I had here, but I think that Phil, perhaps more than anybody at ILM to this point that I can tell understands human emotion and personification, perhaps better than most, which is why he's able to put that into the creatures that he creates. Like he gives them personality. He gives them feeling. He gives them, it makes these creatures that are not real feel more real to us. And we'll see it later on in a film like Jurassic Park, for example, but like personality is something that he's able to infuse into these creatures. (laughs) Yeah. He's the, the vibe I got from him is that he's an empath mm-hmm. and that allows him to connect fully with even inanimate objects to bring yeah. them alive. Yeah. So I, I can see why him and Dennis Muren would be such a great force on set. Cause I remember Muren talking about, about ET, he was making sure every visual element fed into the core story. Right. And then Muren or um, Tippett is also doing that through the actual objects and and making you he could make you fall in love or fear or desire things that aren't alive Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. i think is incredible but if the puppet doesn't work it all falls down (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) if et doesn't work and connect with you the whole movie falls apart or even the rancor the rancor too yep like him moving the head i was like I now believe that this beast could swallow someone whole. The Rancor, the Tauntaun, the Wampa, right? All yeah. these these incredible creatures that are created yeah. that, you know, they have, they're, they're living. <laughs> Out of all of the things on uh, watching the original trilogy, believability of characters was never one of them, which mm-hmm. I think says a lot. It, says, it absolutely does. And you may have already answered this, this question I have here. To this point, what is the coolest detail that you have learned about the making of Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back thus far? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to go back to creatures. But I also think it's like creatures are so Star Wars, you know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I remember Star Wars was good for opening my imagination to be like people thought of this on their own. This isn't a reference to something that was already created. This mm-hmm. was just created on their own. Yeah. And yeah, it's not dwarves or elves or yeah, prior that, IP vampires, right? It's yeah. Like, and that blows my, that level of creativity and openness to new really, I think really affects me and makes me believe yeah. a world. Yeah. And to know that like none of those creatures looked fake. None of those creatures looked inanimate. Yeah. I yeah. think 
helped me lean into the world even more. What about you? Uh, for me, it's the uh, potatoes in the asteroid belt. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I Ever since I heard that detail, I think in the 2004 documentary, uh, Empire of Dreams, that's really been one that's like, <laughs> it's potatoes. It's like the Aragorn, Viggo Mortensen uh, breaking his toe. toe. It's like every time I see him, I'm just like, it's, it's potatoes. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it's creative problem solving isn't about finding the most complex solution. Sometimes about so finding, finding the, the best. Efficient solution. The sometimes. best and efficient solution. <laughs> we have a deadline and we need to get there. What works? Potatoes in the background. They look like asteroids. You'll never know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or it's pieces of gum. It's It's something... It's just like the pieces of gum got me. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, we hold this in such high esteem when in reality it was just pieces of gum. <laughs> I know. I think that even makes it it's better. It's the magic of cinema that makes it better to, to the nth degree. Exactly. All right, Elise, my last question here for you, the cliffhanger for this episode. Uh, they've been doing so, such a great job with cliffhangers in each episode to make you want to watch the next one right away. The, the cliffhanger in this one is now, ILM is expanding into films outside of Star Wars. They're they're taking that leap they to do to. other things. Yeah. Do you think this is a smart decision for ILM and Lucasfilm? Yeah. I mean, one, it's because Lucas is opening up to his friends. Mm -hmm. So he trusts those creators. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a pretty low risk there. And two, like, does George want to lose the talent because he can't pay them? It's a fair point. You know, I, I think it was a smart move because he had a special sauce and you're going to lose the sauce if you can't pay them to be stay. Yeah. Well, so. the catch 22 of that is more work also leads to more, more work. More work. Oh, there's always. <laughs> so uh, you alluded to already. There's some, there's some burnout that happens in the next episode mm -hmm. because these guys have not had a break <laughs> mm -hmm. when you're constantly innovating and, on a, on a pushing on a deadline very and strict tight deadline. budgets too like it can be taxing on the body yeah especially since you've been working these basically 18 hour days since you were 23 let's just say this wouldn't fly nowadays yeah there would be some standards in place about overtime and workplace uh yeah <laughs> proper etiquette yeah but, but it, he had to had to end the story got if you want to keep the group together keep the band intact you gotta have and some the work. band wanted to stay yeah you gotta have some work for them and we are i would say based off of knowing what films they work on next uh i think it's to our benefit it, it pays off get to see some faces melt <laughs> i know get to see some faces melt it's maybe <laughs> the coolest coolest effect ever <laughs> oh my gosh well elise as always it's been a wonderful pleasure having you back on the show we will have you on once more for those at home for the last episode of light and magic to discuss that one yes uh so until then we're so thrilled to have you back on force ghost conversations and <laughs> it is so great that we have you can coming back for one more episode for force ghost conversations in the light and magic series and then we will have you on obviously for other ones beyond this but i love you more most